All right, let's uh, turn to Hebrews chapter 9. We're going to read verses 22 through the end, 28. And then we'll just, we'll have some prayer, more prayer. Always good, more prayer. So Hebrews chapter 9, verses 22 through 28. Let me read them here and follow along. And almost all things are purified by blood according to the law. And without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It was necessary, therefore, for the example of the things in the heavens to be purified by these things. But the heavenly things themselves by better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter into a holy place made by hands, a sketch or figure of the true, but into heaven itself to appear now before the face of God for us. Nor in order that he, Christ, might offer himself often, just as the high priest enters into the Holy of Holies year by year by the blood of other creatures. Since then, he would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once, at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested for the putting away of sin through the sacrifice of himself. And inasmuch as it is reserved for men to die once and after this comes judgment, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time to those who eagerly await him apart from sin unto salvation. Father, again, it is a privilege, it is an honor, Lord, to be before you. And uh, I pray for every one of us in here, Lord, that we would truly be before you, that we would leave behind the things of this day, whatever they have, may have been, good, bad, does not matter. Right now, Lord, we want to give you our fullest attention. And I pray, Lord, that you would truly show us how incredible, what a place, what a privilege we have because we can come before the living God because of that one sacrifice once for all that your son made on our behalf and for your glory, like we sang that song. So Lord, again, we're counting on you. We do exercise our faculties of mind, of understanding, of reading. But Lord, we pray for the Holy Spirit to take these things that you would reveal to us tonight and bring them home to heart and mind and change us forever. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So we wanna, we're going to wrap up chapter 9 here tonight. Um, but what I want to do is, like we often do, is take a quick run back to get us to where we can really understand this, this, uh, this passage. So I'm going to go all the way back to chapter 3. I almost, I didn't have enough time. I would have gone back to chapter 1. But chapter 3... Verse 1, it says, Therefore, holy brothers, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus. And so what he's doing, especially from that point, is he's taking us through so much detail of what is now called the Old Covenant, right? He's the apostle and high priest, and it has reference to Moses, and it has reference to Aaron. And he came as such... And what the author of Hebrews is doing for us is revealing that this part, 
what they were, where they were at that point in time, the old covenant was being made obsolete, that that was not a, he, he, God instituted that very thing. It's not something that was invented by men. All the elaborate ceremonies, the high priest, all the things that all the priests did, what Moses did, all the service was not something invented by men. It was, but it was pictorial. It was a picture. It was trying to make an imprint and an impress on the nation of Israel in particular. And I think Lowell did an excellent job several weeks ago. Excellent. He clearly showed us that the old covenant, listen to this, did not fail. Okay? God didn't do that and then he said, oh my goodness, you know, this isn't working out. Maybe I better get a new covenant here. He didn't do that. That's not what happened. It was planned obsolescence. If you go to chapter 8. He starts off, he, he's going to quote from Jeremiah in chapter 8. We looked at this, verse 8. Finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, I will consummate a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Go to verse 13. In saying a new covenant, he has made the first old. He didn't call it old, but now it's made old. Planned obsolescence. God knows what he's doing. It did its job. It, it, it made a clear portrait of God's plan, God's purpose, God's ways in particular. Okay? Now, I want to look at, at a couple things in that new covenant here. So let's stay here, chapter 8. The first few verses, 8 and 9, they are just talking about what he's going to do and what it's not like. Okay? But where I want to focus on is verses 10 and 11 and 12. These are the critical verses because this show what the new covenant is. Listen to these. This is the covenant I'm going to covenant with the house of Israel. Verse 10. I'm going to impart my laws into their mind. I'm going to impart my laws into their mind. I'm going to inscribe them on their heart. Has anybody ever carved something into themselves? <laughs> a piece of wood. Let's just take a piece of wood instead of ourselves. Has anybody ever carved something with a knife into a piece of wood? Anybody do that? Come on, I want to see some hands. This is an interaction point. Okay, there we go. How easily is it to get that out of there? It's, it's nigh to impossible. You have to take off a whole layer of wood, right? Especially depending on how deep you carve that. This is something indelible. What happened with the old covenant is it couldn't do that. It had no power, no life power to really change the heart. It was all external. It was all pictorial. Okay. He says this, and I will be God to them and they will be a people to me. I believe that that's a very good description of what happens when God imprints the mind with his laws and inscribes the, his laws upon the heart. God really becomes God, and we really become his people. And so the nation of Israel 
it's not like God, God still holds everybody accountable. It's an amazing thing in the scripture of this. Every man is without excuse. But without this change of the, in the heart and mind, God isn't God to us, and we are not a people to God. I'll come back to that. And what that can be described in is in the next verse, verse 11. They shall by no means each one teach his fellow citizen and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for all will know me. Now we're going we're gonna to hit this big tonight. All will know me from the least, from the little one to the greatest among them. When somebody knows the Lord, they really are one of his people. That it shows that the law has been written on their minds, inscribed on their heart, and they know him personally. Okay? Now, what I find very interesting, how many have ever heard a teaching or a sermon or a message on the new covenant? How many? Not too many. Well, there's a few. And at least the ones I've, I've heard or I've read about, they really go into great detail on some of these things. Inscribing, the writing, God, the people, knowing the Lord. But in this book here, in the, in the book of Hebrews, the author does not spend any more time than just mentioning these first three items. And he spends all his time on the last item in verse 12. So from here on out, from chapter 9 through the middle of chapter 10, and then in referencing it again and again, in the rest of chapter 10, chapter 11, chapter 12, chapter 13, what he focuses on is this last verse. And you could almost put right there, my translation says four, but you could say because. Here's why God can be God to them. Here's how he can inscribe his laws on the heart. Here's how he can do it. Here is the basis for his work in this new covenant fashion. Because he is propitious for their unrighteousnesses and he remembers their sin no more. And if you don't have that, brothers and sisters, if we don't have that, if there's not real propitiation, it's not real forgetting of those sins on God's part, okay, there can't, you can't get the rest of it. This is the basis. This is the baseline. And so what the author of Hebrews is doing is spending a lot of time with this, okay? Think back about what we've read about these Hebrew Christians. The warning, that first warning says, if you're not paying heed, this issue of salvation and how great it is is just going to pass right by you. It's like in a, you're, in the, you're, a, you're in a boat in the river and you're just going to sail right on by it. He talks about in chapter 3, he's starting to warn them in 3 and 4, he says, if you don't keep pressing on and enter into that rest, you're going to fall short just like the nation of Israel has done for hundreds of years. He talks about uh, 
being spiritual babes, right? Chapter 5, he says, you guys ought to be full-grown people. What a sad thing it is. We've talked about that. What a sad thing it is to have somebody, and we know some, we probably know some people, that they're, they're adults in age. They're kids. And I don't mean in a nice way. Right? They're childish. They're immature. They have no maturity to them. Why? Because they're not growing up morally and spiritually. And this is what was happening to these guys. And the key thing is, and that's why in chapters 8 and 9 he spent such a long time on this, is that God is now in the middle with them of making this incredible transition from one covenant to a new one. And the one that was there is now becoming old and decrepit. So look at the end of, of chapter 8. In saying a new covenant, he has made the first old. But that which is becoming old and growing decrepit is near to disappearing. And they weren't catching on. And I, and I, can't, I can't fault them. You know, when we've been raised in something and it's, it's almost like it's in our blood, it's become part of us. It's how we were raised. It's how we do things. It's very hard to get out of that, right? But here it is. And what they didn't realize, what was happening with them, we're going to see this a little bit later in some of the later chapters, they were under persecution. In fact, they had been under persecution. If you remember, go read the book of Acts. They had been under persecution for years. Under a man named Saul, many of them died. James was killed. There was a lot of this, and they were being persecuted. They had their goods taken from them. And so there is this confusion, this wondering. They're childish in their understanding of things and had really, I don't believe, any real apprehension of the pictures that were portrayed to them in that old covenant. Okay, so he's trying to... The author of Hebrews is trying to reveal to them that the Old Covenant was pictorial. It involved copies. That's the words used in chapter 9. Copies, types, sketches, figures. All that was, it was real. It's, I'm not saying it wasn't real. We're going to read that in verse 23. It was necessary. There was a necessity there. Okay? But it could never Bring about what God intended. Couldn't do it. And here's, listen to all the things. And the author keeps going over these things in the book of Hebrews. Chapter 1, verse 9. He talks about something called companions of the Christ. In chapter 2, he talks about bringing many sons to glory. God doesn't want just a bunch of people that have a good life and a nice life. He's intending to do something. He's bringing many sons to glory. That's a real hard task. Only God can do that. He's talking about a house for the son. He mentions that in chapter 3. He's talking about the rest that Moses promised, Joshua promised. Didn't, he didn't bring the nation of Israel there. Okay. David, he didn't. The fact, is, the fact is he didn't because David had to say it again from the, in the Psalms. They really didn't enter into truly the rest of God. The old, the old covenant couldn't do that. Perfection and maturity. 
And really, what the new covenant is talking about, and I think this is a big theme. I think this is one of the biggest themes in the Bible. It is what God's purpose is. God is really looking for a people that are his people. Don't you think so? Don't you think all the people that are around this facility here that we've, God has planted us right in the middle of, how's their, how, what's their reality scale? Do you understand what I'm saying there? What, is, what do they understand as the purpose of life? It's like Jay Danger said a few weeks ago. Why are you here? Is there a lot of answers? There's only one answer, right? There's not a bunch of reasons. Why are you here? And it can only be answered in one way. And God's looking for a people. He's looking for a house. He's, he's, he's aching for that. He wants, like Jay said, he wants fellowship. We were created for fellowship. We were created for relationship. And that's what aches in us, right? I want really something that's real. And, and, and the Old Testament, the Old Covenant couldn't produce it. Why? Think back in chapter 9. Look at verse 1. Chapter 9, verse 1. Now then, the first covenant also had ordinances of service, and its sanctuary was of this world. So it had all this service, elaborate service. He's going to go through some of it here. But what he says in verse 8 was key. He says, by going through that, he says, guys, I'd love to talk about this. This is my interpretation. This is the Parker version. Follow along with me in verse 5 here. Okay, verse 6. Where are we? Five. Yeah, 5. He says, now is not the time to speak in detail. I, I, I just don't want to talk about this. I got a bunch of other things I need to nail. I need to present so clearly that you're laid hold of by the Spirit of God to see these things. So I don't want to get into the details. You know, sometimes, frankly, brothers and sisters, we're often wanting to get into the details. Tell me about all the details of Revelation. Well, I'll tell you what. Someday God will give us a lot of details about Revelation, but you, we better not miss the main punchline, right? Okay? We shouldn't do that. We need to get to the meat of it, and then we'll worry about the details later. So he said that, and here's, here's what, the, what, in this ca case, the Spirit of God was emphasizing. Look at verse 8. The Holy Spirit thus making this clear. <coughs> I think that's pretty strong, right? The Holy Spirit is making this clear. If we hear the Spirit of God, he's, that's what he's doing. He's making it clear. And this is what he says. The way into the holy of holies has not yet been made manifested. Listen to this. If, again, the whole purpose of God is to have a people. They're his people. He's their God. The, 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 their minds are rearranged with the, with the law of God. The hearts have been inscribed with this. They all know him from the least to the greatest. God has this marvelous thing. If the, if the Old Covenant could do that, it, it would, that's, that's the intent, but it couldn't do it. Okay? Look at verse... Where are we here? I got to find the verse, guys. 
Well, let's talk about the whole chapter here, all right? Here's what it said in essence. One man, one time a year, year after year, what it doesn't talk about is when he went in there, he went in there and he lit up the golden altar of incense so that this big cloud went in there in front of him. He was there in fear. I think, I can't remember who shared it, but they would tie a a rope around his leg and put some bells there. So if they heard the bells stop ringing, I don't hear those bells, pull him out because nobody else wanted to go in there. He was afraid. He's coming in with that blood. I'm sure he wasn't just going like this though, you know. With that blood, he was pretty accurate because he knew God was serious. Aaron had been warned. His two sons went in there without authorization from God, and they died. They were consumed with fire. And so God gave very clear, accurate instructions on how to go in there. And I'm sure especially that first time. I mean, I'd be like, I'd be writing it on the back of my hand. Ah, first thing I got to do this, first thing I got to do that. And I'd be looking at that every single time. Because to go in there and not do it right was a death warrant. Does that sound like I know God? Like Aaron really knew God? He had a personal relationship with God. He had relationship. He knew him personally. I don't think so. And if it was one man, what about all the rest of them? What about the 600,000 men plus X number of women plus X number of children? Who knew God? Verse 22. So let's get into these verses. That's the backdrop. So that's where we are. And so this author is focusing on the one thing that can clear the way for to have everyone, every single person have a personal relationship with God, know him, and have his mind inscribed, their minds inscribed with the law and their hearts inscribed with the law. Almost all things are purified by blood according to the law, and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. And it was necessary. (coughs) It was necessary for these earthly things, the earthly tabernacle, all the things it mentions in verse 19, after every commandment was spoken according to the law by Moses, he took the blood of the goats and bulls and he sprinkled this, he sprinkled that, he sprinkled this, everything got sprinkled with blood, showing that there had been the shedding of blood. It was very, very clear. It was necessary for these examples of the things in the heavens to be purified by those sacrifices and that activity. But the heavenly things, by better sacrifices than these, those are not sufficient to really pave the way for God to get what he really needs to get and wants to get and will get. Okay? For Christ did not enter. Christ did not enter into the example of things in the heavens. The day, and what's, what, what was being addressed to these Hebrew believers is the day of the copies, the day of the sketches, the day of the patterns, the day of those things, it is over. What was happening is, because of these threats, they were wanting to go back to that. They didn't understand. 
They didn't have a full grasp, I don't believe, on this at all. And they wanted to go back to what was comfortable to them. They knew they're being persecuted. They're beginning to wonder, really, are we doing the right thing? It's okay. If you look in the book of Acts for years, and I'm, I'm, doing an, I'm in, my, in the book of Acts in my daily reading in the morning. And uh, right up to the time of the very end, Paul is there making a vow and he's going into the temple and he's, he's, he's slaughtering some animals for these guys' vows. He's making an offering. And so there's this ritual that's so strong. And the author of Hebrews, I believe this, that this book was written before the destruction of the temple, but God, because the transition was very hard, I believe one of the facts of why God took the temple out of the way was because it was so hard to get free from all that stuff. And so he removed it. He removed it. Christ did not enter into a holy place made by hands, a figure, a sketch of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear before the face of God for us. And I want to come back to that phrase, the face of God, here in a minute. Nor in order that he might offer himself often, just as the high priest enters into the holy of holies year by year with the blood of other creatures. Since then he would have had to suffer once, suffer often since the foundation of the world. And then here's the punchline, guys. Here's the punchline. Now once. You know, it's very interesting in the book of Hebrews, this word once and once for all is used eight times. It's used, I believe it's four times in chapter 9. Once. Again, there's this comparison. One guy... Went in once a year, but he did it year after year after year after year, many times. This one enters in one time. The way into the holy place, the way into the very presence of God was not opened. Not really for anybody. God existed. God planted his presence in the middle of his people. But go back and read that Old Testament history. Wow. Again and again. I mean, a lot of people died because they did something inappropriate. And I can't imagine living like that. What happens, I mean, (laughs) I know the brothers are getting a lot of calls these days, right? About this thing, that thing. What would happen if we came in here and we said, well, you know, I don't like the arrangement of the furniture. And God said, wham! Boy, I tell you what, nobody would be, you know, this is perfect, God. That's what it was in the Old Covenant. Nadab and Abihu go in. They're just, they were probably drunk. That's the, some, you can assume that from the text. And they just went in, they knew that you had to come in with the censors, and you had to come do do this, and that's exactly what they did, and they were slain on the spot. Other times, right, the ground opened up when somebody was disputing about, well, who's Moses, and who's Aaron, and who's Aaron, why does he think he's got to, he's got to, he's the only high priest, right? God said, everybody get back, and he consumes. He opens up the ground and swallows up man, woman, and child. Serious. I don't think we know, I don't think we have a good understanding, 
a, a, a significant impression of just how holy God is. Later on in this book, it's going to say, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He's a consuming fire. But why isn't he a consuming fire? How many mistakes did you make today? All right, Dan, how many? Okay, okay. She, she held up at least eight. Oh, ten. There's ten. Just imagine, brothers and sisters, if the relationship with God was based on that kind of stuff. And that's what it was. And so there was, there was a way to expiate that, to propitiate God. And there it came in with offerings all the time. And I can't tell you, I would like to see somebody's calculation of how many lambs, how many goats, how many bulls, how many pigeons were killed over those all, many, many years in order that God could exist in the midst of an unclean people, a holy, righteous God. But you know what? Something has happened. God himself in the person of the Son has come, took on human form, walked this earth, and then did something that settled the issue once for all. Verse 26, But now once at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested, listen, for the putting away of sin through the sacrifice of himself. From God's standpoint, brothers and sisters, sin is no longer the issue anymore. Anyone, you couldn't do this. One guy, one time a year, and then with a whole lot of fear, went in to see God, and he didn't stay long. It wasn't, he didn't say, boy, what a nice, warm, friendly place this is. I'd like to talk with you, God. Didn't do that. He was in and he was out as quick as he could, I bet. But now the invitation is open. Sin has been put away. That's what it says. Go back to chapter 1, verse 3. It starts with that. Starts with that very thing. Here's this son. God has spoken in the son in, in a final way. Now, the end of this age isn't over. We still got some stuff to go through. There's still a lot of stuff. I'm not saying that we don't have a problem with sin. I'm not saying that. But the issue of sin, as far as God in being restricted with his fellowship with us so that he can have a people for his own, that issue is settled by the work of the Son. Verse 3, who being the effulgence of his glory and the impress of his substance and upholding and bearing all things by the word of his power, having, <coughs> having made purification of sins, Sins sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. It is a done thing. And so now every single one of us, and so that's the entreaty again and again and again throughout this whole book. Come forward to the throne of grace. Draw near. Come. You can, you can enter in. He's going to say this in chapter 10. You can enter in really, just as really as Aaron did, or any of the other high priests did, into the, to the, the picture of the one in the heavens, 
the real tabernacle was real. He came in. You can do that same thing only in spirit. By faith, you can enter in and be in the presence of the living God without fear. Do you think that's a big deal? How big of a deal do we think that is? That is a huge deal. Huge. You know, last week, uh, Paul, and it was good. I didn't hear it. I'm sorry I missed that. He talked about, I think one of the things he talked about, is Paul here? There he is. Confessing our sins. You know what? That, that goes without saying almost. We need to confess our sins. But don't mistake, don't be mistaken to think that when we go to confess our sins, we are again doing something like an offering to God. That whole issue of sin from God's standpoint is a finished thing. That's what it says. He purged us. He put them away. There is no issue from God's standpoint anymore on that. Our confession is merely coming to God and saying, God, you know what? I've been off track. I've, I've, I'm out of fellowship with you. But on the basis of the finished work of the Son of God, I boldly come to you. I'll say it exactly. I, I sinned and I want to restore my fellowship with you. And the Father is there to welcome us, right? Absolutely there to welcome us. It's not an issue. Now, there's one more thing. It was in my heart. Um, I want to come back to verse 24, and we'll get into the last two verses here in a minute. Verse 24 says this, that the, the Son of God now appears before the face of God for us. And I want you to go back to uh, chapter 4 and look at verses 12 and 13. You know, it's talking about the Word of God here, right? Word of God is living, operative, sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces. It's doing a lot of work. It's able to discern the thoughts and intents of the heart. And then verse 13. I used to quote chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 12 quite a bit. I would leave out verse 13. Verse 13 is, is the rest of the verse, if you will. He says, and there is no creature that is not manifest before him. Same word that's used in nine. But all things are naked and laid bare, listen, to the eyes of him to whom we are to give an account. And I don't know if you have this kind of understanding, but every time we come by faith in spirit to God, we're coming before his face and to his eyes. So, Tommy, if you could help me for a minute, can you come up here? Yeah, you. What can I say? I need some help. I just kind of work this way. I got to have... Okay, Tommy's coming up here. Now, but let's say Tommy is the guy up here, and I come up here. So, what I'm, what I'm going to get at here is there's a... How we translate this, how we understand this word is important. It's translated presence, face, and eyes. And I think that's critical. So here's Tommy, and I come in to see Tommy, and I've got this real, and I know I'm running around here, so they're taping it. Anyway, come right here, Tommy, so you can stand right there. Okay, so here he is. 
And, and I could come into Tommy's presence. So this is, I'm coming into Tommy's presence. And I got this real pressing issue, okay? Now just kind of watch me here. Uh, Tommy, I've, I've got a real issue. And, uh, you know, I've wanted to talk to you. And, uh, and yeah, yeah. Okay, so I was in Tommy's presence, wasn't I? But that's not what this is talking about, right? That's not what... Hebrews 4 is talking about. Here's another one. Whoop. I guess you can't do that. Uh-oh. There we go. I can do this. Tommy, I, I, I got this issue I've been wanting to talk to you about. And, uh, um, you know, and it's really pressing on my heart. And, and I just don't know what to do. And, and uh so I'm in his face, right? I'm, yeah, I'm not talking to this, but I'm here. But there's a world of difference between that first one and the second one and this one. Tommy, I'm so thankful that you, you let me come to see you, and I really got this issue, and I know you can help me. Anytime, Greg. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, let me... Just exhort us all. How much time do you take? There is, if I could say it this way, I don't know how to say it. It's, it's burning inside of me. The living God, the, the heir of the universe, the creator of all things, our heavenly Father has purged sin, made He's taken away that thing that separated us from him. We don't have to go through elaborate ritual. We don't have to do any of that. We can come not just into his presence, not just before his face, but we can look him eye to eye. You know, one of the things I've been working through in my own experience is uh, you know, I'm not an emotional guy. At least I, <laughs> I haven't thought I was. Something happened to me a few years ago. It kind of made me a little more emotional. But I, now I get a little more emotional. But I'm not an emotional guy. But I'll tell you what. Every time I try to exercise, I, that I am consciously in spirit, just as real as if I walked into that holy of holies, I am coming before the living God in the heavens and I am coming to look him in the face at his eyes and he's looking at me and he loves me and he's for me. Look at, you know, one of the things that the author of Hebrews is saying again and again, you guys, I'm not talking, I'm not trying to rough you up. I'm not chastening you in that way. God does that anyway. But he chastens us because he loves us. He does these things. And there's a plea there in this man's heart for these guys, for these brothers and sisters who are about to fall back and miss something so incredible. Do you, I hope you're getting what I'm speaking here. And the practical application is this. They would go back to what is ritual. I am a big, 
encourager that, and it's going to say this in chapter 10, we ought not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the habit of some is. Some people have a habit of not getting together. I'm not talking about that, though. If you, if you are using that to develop your relationship with God to the exclusion of actually coming before the face of God and looking Him right in the eyes, you are missing it. If you are doing anything like that. Remember, the Lord said to the Pharisees, He says, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and you won't come to what? Me. So it's not even just practiced. I, I mean, I, I have a whole study filled with a lot of books. Some of them very good. A lot of them just a lot of good knowledge. Let's finish this last chapter here, this last part of this chapter. Verse 27, and as much as it is reserved for men to die once and after this comes judgment. It's a strong verse, powerful verse. Once death has come, once that death has come, there will be no time to settle the issue with God. He has an open door policy now. You can come to him on his terms in repentance, belief in his son, but wide open, something that never happened before. So Christ also, just as a man dies once, after that comes judgment, so Christ also, bears who offered once, he was offered once, there's that word again, offered one time, it's a done deal now, the sins of many, to bear the sins of many, he will appear a second time, to those who eagerly await him apart from sin. He's not coming to resolve the sin issue. If the sin issue on our part hasn't been resolved by that time, it will not be. It will not be. And he's coming unto salvation, for salvation. And I don't know about you, but man, I am ready for salvation. The full deal. I got salvation right now. Being saved, I get saved almost regularly every day. And I will be saved. I'll tell you what, one of the things I'm looking forward to is this thing here. You know, guys, I'm not talking about my clothes. I'm talking about the body I wear. It's wearing out. Sometimes it gets pretty discouraging. I'm looking for that. And I also, when I, I read the news quite a lot at, at home, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm ready for <coughs> the Lord to come and with a iron rod to set things right and that judgment one more verse guys go with me to revelation 11 the last trumpet the seventh trumpet it's blown voices in heaven saying this is what they say the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our lord and of his christ and he will reign forever and ever and the 24 elders fell down before God on their thrones. They worshiped, saying, Thank you, Lord, God the Almighty, He who was and is, because you have taken your great power and you have reigned. And the nations became angry. Your wrath came. The time came for the dead to be judged. 
And also the time came to give the reward to your slaves, the prophets and to the saints and to those who fear your name, to the small and the great, notice that, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. Let's close. (coughs) Father, thank you for your word. I hope that I honored you and was a help to the saints. Lord, bring these things home to us, open them up, and may we really treasure that work that you, Lord Jesus, did in opening the way for us to come to the face of God. Lord, may we do that all the time as much as we possibly can. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen.